0: I want to send special greetings today to our supporters across North America, United States, down into the Caribbean, and of course up into Canada. Today we're going to continue our studies in the book of Romans. This chapter, Romans 7, is one of the most controversial chapters in the Bible. Because it describes a man struggling against his carnal nature. It's a man who is struggling for his life. Many have said this can't be a Christian because a Christian doesn't have a carnal nature. Christian is all spiritual and therefore this must be describing St. Paul when he wasn't a saint. Uh, This viewpoint has been held and is held by many fine theologians, including the theologians of the great Roman Catholic Church, particularly the great St. Augustine, one of the greatest theologians in the history of the world. Uh, The Jesuits, of course, believe that Romans 7 describes a man under conviction of sin, but certainly not a believer, because a believer doesn't have this conflict with his carnal nature. We're going to talk about this. Is this a Christian, or is it an unbeliever on the point of his spiritual awakening? This chapter also makes a very strange statement It says that a Christian is dead to the law. It says a Christian is delivered from the law. And many have said, does this mean that the law of God is abolished? On the basis of Paul's statement here in Romans 7, many theologians have said, this proves that the law of God was nailed to the cross. We're no longer obligated to teach it or to keep it. We're going to talk about the law of God, is it abolished? I believe this, that a true understanding of this controversial chapter will make an immense difference in the life of every person. It makes an immense difference how a person views God, himself, and others. The Christian church is divided over Romans 7. The understanding of Romans 7 has produced two different types of Christians. I want you today to understand the Bible teaching on Romans chapter 7. As I study the book of Romans, and particularly Romans 7, dear friend, I discover that ultimately there's really only one thing that counts, and that is the precious blood of Jesus. I'm going to suggest today, I hope more than suggest, I hope I can prove it from Scripture, but I'm going to suggest today that Romans 7 is not the picture of an unconverted man, but is the sole struggle of one of the greatest saints of God, Saint Paul. A man who is truly a child of God. And in this chapter I believe we're going to discover Paul lays bare his heart. And when we look into his heart, as we look into our own hearts, we are forced to a rather stark, dramatic conclusion. When all is said and done, there's only one thing that's going to save me not my righteousness, not my attainments, not my ability with words or my ability with works. It is the blood of Jesus. That's our only hope. Many years ago over in England there was a large lighthouse and at the bottom of the lighthouse there was a flock of sheep grazing and a man had climbed up high on the lighthouse up about a hundred feet and he was painting the lighthouse when a sudden gust of wind came and he lost his footing and he fell to the ground. The people on the ground felt quite sure that he would have been killed. And they ran over to pick up the mangled remains only to find the remains of a mangled sheep. He was lying beside the sheep which was broken. But he was not broken because the lamb broke his fall. I want you to know today that a lamb broke our fall. Every one of us we're going to discover today has had a fall, and we continue to fall short of the glory of God, but the good news is this, that a lamb broke our fall, and that is the precious lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And the only way that you and I can ever hope for salvation is not through what we have done or what we continue to do. Even though we may try to do our best, our hope is in the fact that the Lamb of God gave His own life on the cross to save us from sin. So with that preamble, would you please turn to Romans chapter 7 and verse 1. Romans chapter 7 and verse 1. These are some of the most profound words in all of Holy Scripture. This is one of the most difficult chapters and for this reason lazy people avoid it. Romans 7 verse 1, Paul says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over man only as long as he lives. I want you please to think of these words. The Bible says that the law of God and even the law of man has authority over a person only as long as he lives. And so if a person, my friend, is dead, the Lord cannot hold dominion over him. Listen to this, Paul says, the law cannot punish a dead man or hold dominion over him. Did you get this? I want you to think about this. This comes to the very heart of the understanding of the gospel of righteousness by faith that most people do not understand. The vast majority of people, I believe, who go to church are in darkness as far as righteousness by faith is concerned. But the Bible says that the Lord does not have dominion over a man as long as he lives. And I want to tell you some good news today. This is marvelous news. When a sinner comes to Christ and believes in Christ and comes repenting and falls down at the foot of the cross, God considers that he is a dead man. Remember we talked about this last week? That's why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But when Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, he was referring first, primarily, and foremost to, to the experience that when Jesus died on the cross the world died in him most people don't understand this they say what strange heresy is this it is the strange heresy of the bible second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 says for thus we reckon if one died for all then we are all dead and when i come to christ god then considers that in Christ I am crucified and I am dead. And the good news is this, that the law cannot condemn a dead man. And a dead person, my friend, is no longer under the condemnation or the jurisdiction of the law. But he is in that sense free from the law. Free from its condemnation. Because in Christ he has already paid for his penalty because Jesus paid for the sin of every man. Would you look at Romans 7 and verse 2 and 3 please? And now Paul gives us an analogy. For example, by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if a husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man, While her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Verse 4, so my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. The Bible teaches here that death releases from the dominion of the law. This is the point when Paul is talking about the marriage relationship. He says that death releases from the dominion of the law. And the Bible tells me that the death of Jesus, which is my death, releases me from the condemnation of the law. Now I can see that some of you are looking at me as though this is a strange teaching. This is because you have never studied the Bible. Particularly these verses. The Bible tells me that death releases a person from the dominion of the law. And the Bible tells me that once upon a time we were married to an old man. And that is the husband. And the old man is the old way of sin. And the Bible tells me that the old life of sin to which I was wedded was put on the cross with Jesus. And I am no longer married to the old man of sin. But I have been released because of my death in Jesus Christ. So I can be married to another person, to Jesus Christ my Lord. And when I am married to Jesus Christ my Lord... And when the old man is counted dead, I am no longer under the condemnation of the law because the Bible says that the law cannot punish a dead man or hold dominion over him. On the cross, the Bible tells me when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified with him. And God considers that the repentant believer is dead in Christ, and the law cannot punish a dead man. He is free from the condemnation of the law. And that is why a true Christian who understands what the Bible is talking about in these verses has got a tremendous peace and a great joy. A Christian should not go frowning to the Father's house. I ask you the question, why is it that so many people who call themselves Christians and who go to church are filled with condemnation and despair and doom and gloom. It is because they are walking in darkness. This is why we have multitudes, millions of Christians in churches who profess to believe the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I tell you, you've only got to talk to them for two moments. I'll look at their faces for one moment and you'll know that they do not have joy in their hearts because they do not understand that a Christian is delivered from the law and from its condemnation. And the law cannot condemn a dead man. And the Bible says that the old man was put on the cross with Jesus so that we could be married to another. And that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 7 verse 5. Romans 7 verse 5 For when we were controlled by the sinful nature that is the old man the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit to God the Bible here is describing man in his lost condition the Bible my friend makes it very, very plain what this old man is. This is the man without Christ. This is the man in his uncontrolled carnality, filled with passions, filled with hate, and also in his darkest moments, filled with hatred of God. But the Bible tells us that when a person comes to Christ, this old man is put on the cross with Jesus. We ask the question, where does this sinful nature come from? Where does this nature that is filled with evil passions comes from? As Spurgeon, the great British preacher called the Prince of Preachers said, within our veins is the black blood of Adam. We do not learn to be sinners We are born as sinners. David says, I was born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And the Bible tells us that we've got to be born again. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he didn't say, we have to be born again. Because Jesus didn't have to be born again. But Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Because we come into the world with a nature that is filled with despair and filled with hate. And it is under the condemnation of the law of God. But the Bible says that when I come to Christ, God considers that I am dead in Christ. And the law cannot condemn a dead man. That person steps out of the darkness and he steps into the light. Have you stepped out of the darkness, friend? Look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 6, Romans chapter 7, and verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What do these words mean? It talks about being dead to the law. I want you to notice this. The Bible nowhere says that the law is dead. You're going to discover today that the law in Romans 7 is very much alive. The law is not dead in Romans 7. It is very much alive. But the Bible says we are dead to the law. It doesn't say the law is dead. But it says you're dead because when you come to Christ a Christian experiences a spiritual death and a new life comes into his soul through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says we do not serve God any longer in the oldness of the letter but in the Spirit of God, in the new law of the Spirit. What does it mean to serve God in the letter? That is the religion of the Pharisee. It is the religion of do, do, do. It is the religion of works. It is a religion where we have a checklist and we go through the checklist and we say, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. Therefore, I am righteous in the sight of God. I pay my tithe. I go to church. I keep the commandments of God. That is the curse of the law. And the Pharisees were filled with the curse of the law. But the Bible says we do not serve God. A Christian no longer serves God from the viewpoint of the law, but from the viewpoint of the Holy Spirit. Now notice verse 7. Romans 7. Now I know this is a new doctrine to many of you, but I would suggest to you today, read the Bible. Believe the Bible. Romans chapter 7. Now... Verse 7, can I give you a little anecdote? I was once giving some meetings back in Australia on the book of Romans and a dear friend of mine who was an elder, the leading elder of my church came to me and he said, Pastor Carter, what a pity Paul wrote those things. I said, why? Because he said, it goes against everything we believe. (laughs) He said, it goes against everything I believe. And he said, I can't understand that Paul would ever say these words. My friend, let me tell you something. When we discover that the Bible goes against what we believe, we better change what we believe. And we better get our lives into harmony with the Word of God. And people say, but some of these things go against our traditions. Well, let's get rid of our traditions. Hear what I'm saying? We better get rid of our traditions. But you say, oh, we don't have any traditions in our church. We're not like that big church with the big steeple and the big cross. We don't have any traditions. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? We've got traditions the same as anybody else. We've got teachings made by men the same as anybody else. And some of us have got a faith today, and I say it to the television audience, Some of us have got a faith today that is not based upon the Word of God but upon the teachings of the church. And I want to tell you something. Church councils and committees have made so many mistakes in the past that we ought to wise up and we ought to get to the Word of God. Don't you think? Now verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I would not, not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, Do not covet. Now, listen, I want to make this ever so plain to everybody who's watching the telecast. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. Paul says, I wouldn't know what sin was except for the law. Then he quotes the 10th commandment and the 10th commandment gets at the heart of almost every sin, coveting. When a person breaks the first commandment you shall have no other gods it's because he covets another one. When a person breaks the Holy Sabbath day you know why he does it? He covets the time of God. When a person steals, because he covets. When a person commits adultery, it's because he covets. Nothing wrong with the law of God. If we didn't have the law of God, we would never feel our need of Christ. The law of God is a marvelous revelation of the will of God to show me and to show you your need of Christ. I want to tell you something. The law of God cannot save you. The law was given as a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. But the law of God is eternal. Never knock the law of God. Don't be a part of those people who say that the law of God is abolished because they're simply ignorant of Scripture. Look at verse 8 and 9. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Now what's he talking about here? What's Paul talking about? Paul says, there was a time and I was alive apart from the law. What does he mean? He says, but then the commandment came, sin came to life, and I died. He said, in fact, the law encouraged sin. What does he mean? Yes, my brother says, he had an awareness. He had a spiritual awakening once upon a time The Apostle Paul thought that he was a marvelous Christian. But God gave to him a revelation of the depths and the breadth of the law. The law by itself provokes evil in the heart. Did you know that? Paul says this, the law without Christ provokes evil. You know why? Because the law says don't do it. And what does the heart say? Well, I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm going to do a little more. And he says... I was alive, apart from the law. What does he mean when he says, I was alive? He thought he was a great guy. He thought he was a righteous person. He said, as far as the keeping of the commandments is concerned, he said, I'm a blameless man. He was what the Bible calls a Pharisee. And so he was filled with a self-confidence in his own righteousness, he was at church every Sabbath, always put in a good offering, paid a double tithe, didn't eat certain foods, and so he did all of these things, and he said, I'm a righteous man, but then one day he got a revelation of Christ, and a revelation of the holy law of God, and he saw himself no longer as a righteous man, but he saw himself, as a sinner, the great Pharisee. Jesus, of course, as you know, told the story about the two worshipers. And the Pharisee, who was the churchgoer, goes up to the temple to pray. He says, God, I thank you. I'm not like this other person here. I fast twice a week pay my tithe, go to church. Jesus said that man went down to his home a lost sinner, because he never had a revelation. But the publican had a revelation. He said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. There was a time when the apostle Paul felt himself to be the very best of men, the most righteous of men, but then the word of God was open to him and the Spirit of God shone into his heart and he saw himself as he really is. He said in Philippians 3 verse 6, As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless, but I count these things now as done. In 1988, I had a real privilege. I um, was asked to be the speaker for the 1988 Minneapolis Conference hundred years after the great 1888 Minneapolis conference, I was asked to take the meetings in Minneapolis for the general conference during the night, evening meetings, like a little evangelistic series. will never forget how cold it was, snowing like crazy, bitterly cold, and as I came into the meeting one night, There were some people out in the parking lot passing out papers, God bless them, that's okay, it's a free country, I believe in freedom of speech, passing out heaps of papers, they're standing around these 44 gallon uh, drums with some fire in them to keep warm. And as I went past, they said, you're speaking here? I said, yes, but they said, you're the person who ought to read this. So I took this stuff and was on perfectionism all perfectionism. And I said to the man who was passing them out, are you perfect? He said, no, I'm not, but my partner here is. So I said to this man who was standing there, I said, are you completely perfect? He said, yes, I'm perfect. He said, my friend's got a bit of a way to go to catch up to me, but he said, I'm perfect. Now he was dead serious. And he was dead wrong. You know why? He had no Comprehension at all of the vastness and the holiness of the law of God and the sinfulness of his own heart. This is the problem in our own church, I'm not talking specifically about you, but in our own church and among the majority of Christians who have their own self righteousness and have never seen themselves as standing incomplete before the throne of God. And that's why they say, this can't be St. Paul, this has got to be some awful sinner here. Now read on verses 10 to 12. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. for sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. This doesn't sound like a sinner talking to me. This doesn't sound like an out-and-out, unconverted man. Here's a man who says, when I look at the law of God, it is holy, it is just, and it is good. I believe this is Saint Paul as a Christian. But read on a little further, please, verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now, let me tell you a little story. The Bible makes it plain that when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, and Christ is revealed to him, and the law is revealed, he sees himself as he really is. I can think of a number of years ago, a young man came to this church, Uh, he's moved on to another city, he's a dear friend of mine, he came to this church and listened to the message I'm preaching today, week after week, and didn't enjoy the meetings at all, he got hopping mad. In fact, he told me that he would sit here in church and he would stew and go outside and criticize and get so mad and be so angry, you know why? He told me later, he said, God was convincing convincing me that I was a sinner. And that's what the law of God does. As you study the scriptures, and as the Holy Spirit gives you a revelation of Christ, and the word of God, and the law of God, you will not become a boastful person, but you will see yourself as you really and truly are. How can you tell if the Spirit of God is working on the heart? You can tell, my friend, if you sometimes start to get mad or angry. Can I make a little confession to you? Because as you folks know, I've got strong opinions in just about everything. The Bible says, when we come to church, we ought to come to meet Christ and to be convicted of our sins. I understand the people are trying to be nice, but when a person comes to me after listening to me preach and says, Pastor Carter, I just enjoyed that, I obviously was not used by the Spirit of God to help that person that day. Now I know what I'm going to say goes against almost all the television preachers in North America. I believe that there's a sense when we come to church we ought to enjoy the sermon. I understand that. Ought to be a sense that we enjoy the music and our souls are lifted up. But unless this word reveals Christ and helps me to see myself as I really am, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. Now, I know that I'm different to lots of people. But I could not be contented with a Christianity which is all tinsel and shouting and noise and people saying, Isn't it everything so wonderful? That's really not what it's all about. When you come to church, the law of God ought to smite you so that you and I will want to come to Christ and be washed from our sins. This is what it's all about. Unless I am radically wrong. There's nothing wrong with God's law. But this is describing Paul's experience from proud self-righteousness where he came to see himself as a great sinner. And Jesus spoke about this. He said, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit.'" Now, please notice verse 14, would you mind? Romans 7 and verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual. Now, that sounds like a Christian talking to me. An unbeliever doesn't know that the law is spiritual. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave of sin. Now, this week as I was preparing this talk, I went through some of my commentaries, and I soon discovered that there were two basic viewpoints on this verse. Firstly, uh, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that this describes the awakened sinner but still unconverted, where he says, I'm a sinner, and I'm carnal, and I'm sold under sin. The Roman Church says, with some strong arguments, this is talking about a sinner being awakened by the Spirit of God, but it doesn't refer to any of the saints. The second viewpoint says that this is Paul, the converted child of God and the apostle. And I believe that the second is true. Number one, because Romans 7 is in the context of sanctu- sanctification. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 he says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And so Romans 7 is in the context of sanctification. And number two, only a true child of God sees the law of God as being spiritual. And I want to read you something here from Martin Luther who says, But the proof of a foolish, carnal man is this, he regards himself as spiritual and is pleased with himself. Martin Luther said, if you want to find a lost soul, go into a church where people are pleased with themselves and they talk about being spiritual. I can think, when I was back in Sydney, a man came to my church. One of the first things he said to me was, Pastor Carter, I want you to know I am a spiritual man. He said, I am a spiritual man. It was my privilege to work with him in television production. I have never seen a man under pressure curse so much. Curse and swear, but the next breath, I am a spiritual man. A person who claims that he is righteous and spiritual and holy is usually the very opposite. The mark of a true Christian is to say, Lord, I'm not as good as I ought to be. I'm looking to you, but Lord, many of the things I ought to do, I don't do. And This is why I believe that these verses here are talking about a child of God. Notice verses 14 to 18, please. Romans chapter 7, 14 to 18, he says, We know that the law is spiritual but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. When was he sold as a slave? When Adam sinned. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, In my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. The evil I I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do. It is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me. Who is this man? People say... uh, I can't understand that you could say that this is a child of God. I can. Have you heard of Sherlock Holmes? The great British detective? There was an enemy of Sherlock Holmes, remember his name? Professor Moriarty. And whenever the great Sherlock Holmes thought he had killed Moriarty in the next episode Moriarty reappeared listen my friend you and I can never come to the place where we say the enemy within the carnal nature is dead because the battle goes on and Paul here is describing the battle against sin the battle against sin the Adventist commentary says, in comparison with the spirituality of the law, the holiest of men are carnal. Now I have a statement here. I'm going to read you from somebody who is greatly valued by myself and in our church. From Ellen White in Selected Messages, I want you to listen to this. I want you to think of these words because most of us have bypassed what she said here. She says, the eternal sacrifice through a mediator is essential because of the constant commission of sin. Why do we need a mediator all the time? Jesus is officiating in the presence of God, offering up his shed blood as if it, it had been a lamb slain. Jesus presents the obligation oblation offered for every offense and every shortcoming of the sinner. Now listen to this. And this is what we don't like. The religious services, the prayers, the praise, the penitent confessions of sin ascend from true believers as incense to the heavenly sanctuary. But passing through the corrupt channels of humanity, they are so defiled that unless purified by blood, they can never be of value with God. They ascend not in spotless purity, and unless the intercessor who is at God's right hand presents and purifies all by his righteousness, it is not acceptable to God." You notice whom it is speaking about? It is talking about the prayers of true believers. And it says that our prayers are so defiled that going through the corrupt channels of humanity unless they are purified by the blood of Jesus they're not worth a load of beans. So I would suggest to you today that this is talking about a Christian as he struggles with his sinful nature. Is there anybody here today who feels that what I'm saying is the truth? Is there anybody here today who has a struggle with his nature? Is there anybody here today? Is there anybody who says, Lord, have mercy upon me? Who is this man? He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. Is this talking about a man who's a murderer and a liar and a cheat and a fornicator? Is it talking about a willful sinner? I want to tell you, he's talking about a man who's living so close to God, the light's so bright, that every lack of conformity to the will of God stands out like a mountain. This is not a bad man. This is the best of men. My friend, if you dress up a monkey and leave him in the dark he'll look handsome a monkey in the dark looks handsome put the monkey in the light it is when the light of God comes that we see all of the blemishes this is a man who is standing in the light but the man who says look at me I'm a righteous man I'm a holy man that man is the monkey standing in the dark. So this text is talking about the coming of the light. Listen, Luther said I am more afraid of my own heart than of the pope and all his cardinals. And in Ephesians 3:8 he says I'm the least less than the least of all God's people. 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, I am the chief of sinners. You say, why is this so important? Have you seen the movie A Bridge Too Far or read the story? The British went across there But they underestimated the power of the enemy. My friend, you and I must never underestimate the power of the enemy. We cannot for one moment trust in our own strength. When I am weak, I am strong, and I must look to Christ. That is why I say to you, read the Bible. Because you are not strong enough to be a Christian in your own strength. I cannot make it by myself. I need Christ every moment of every day, because I am a weak, stumbling sinner, saved by grace. Verse 21, so I find this Lord work when I want to do good. Evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. Here's the Christian. But I see another Lord work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. The carnal nature stays until Jesus comes, my friend. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen, I've got to push this in and I've got to do it fast. Listen very, very carefully to this. He talks here about being a wretched man. He says, oh, a wretched man that I am. Most of my Christian friends say that doesn't describe me. Hey, I want to tell you it describes John Carter. If You turn to Revelation chapter 3. There's a church there, our own church. The church that professes to keep the word of God. But God says, you don't know that you're wretched, but you are. The sin of our church is legalism and says, I can attain to it. And that is why so often in our church we're harsh on people, legalistic on people, great at kicking people out of the church. Hard on people because the church does not understand this chapter. Laodicea says, I am rich and increased with goods. But the true Christian says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Thank God through Jesus Christ. When am I delivered from this body of death? On the cross. Number two, when I come to Christ and I choose him at the moment of temptation and say, God, I can't do it, do it for me. And number three, ultimately, when Jesus comes the second time. But until then, my friend, there's no deliverance from the battle. The battle goes on. Notice the last Verse of Romans 7. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself and my mind am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. People say verse 25 is an anticlimax. Why does he say through Jesus Christ our Lord and then bring up the battle again? I will tell you why. Because the battle goes on, there's no rest until Jesus comes. Here is the great news for you today. Even though my sinful nature remains, even though I am continually harassed, I am safe in Christ. Even though I stumble and I'm bruised, I am not ashamed, I am not defeated, and I am not condemned. And in the battle, I have one who is stronger than I am. Because a lamb broke my fall, and a lamb broke your fall. The Lamb of God. That is why Martin Luther said the words, a Christian He's always a sinner, always a penitent, always right with God. When he says a sinner, he doesn't mean a willing, willful sinner, but a person who is stumbling and falling short of the glory of God. Would you like to know the worst sin that you can commit? It's not murder. It's not stealing. It's not adultery. It's not Sabbath breaking. Would you like to know what it is? It's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. where we look down on other people. where we're hard on other people. I want to tell you today I understand Romans 7. I understand what Paul went through because I go through it every day. But I want to thank God today, that Jesus is more than sufficient to take me home to heaven. And I pray today that if you haven't had a revelation of your own need, and the good news that the blood of Jesus still covers stumbling, faulty people, then today, believe the gospel.